We talked about the consequences of sin. Um, that, you know, sin does have consequences. Uh, I share Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. That as man sinned, that now death is the payment for that. Of course, we know that Jesus came and destroyed death through his resurrection. We also know in John 10.10 10, that Jesus said, The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So, you know, when we sin, there's an enemy, and he wants to kill, steal things from us, destroy things. He just wants to mess with us. Sin has its effects physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Today I want to look at, at a group of, a group of sin. I call it a group of sins, but it's a kind of an overview of a, a certain aspect of sin. Um, it's something that I think is being my age has something to do with this, but I've lived long enough that I've seen something and I think I've seen it go through the process of consequences. I've seen the consequences of sin. And that is the sexual sins. The world and our world around us has one view of sexual sins and God has another view. And sometimes the effect of sin takes a while. And I say I've lived long enough because, you know, once you've lived long enough, you can start to see the effects of things that happened years ago. I want to read from, to you from, uh, I actually looked up sexual revolution in the 1960s. You know, good old Google. You know. So this is not biblical. This is just the world's view of what happened in the 1960s, which I lived through. In the 1960s in the United States, they were often perceived as a period of time of profound social change, one in which a great many politically minded individuals who on the whole were young and educated sought to influence the status quo. Attitudes to a variety of issues changed, some radically throughout the decade. The urge to find oneself, the activism of the 1960s and the quest for autonomy were characterized by changes towards sexual attitudes at the time. These changes to sexual attitudes and behavior during the period are often referred to generally under the blanket metaphor of sexual revolution. Most of the relevant data are limited in time and scope and nationally representative data are almost non-existent prior to the AIDS epidemic. Despite this, there is some Quantitative evidence that cohorts of young adults after the mid-1960s exhibited a greater number of sexual partners as well as a greater likelihood of premarital sex, among other changes in sexual behavior. In fact, from historical reports published by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, appear to demonstrate that measures of non-traditional sexual behavior began to rise dramatically as early as the mid to late 1950s. Many interrelated factors underlie these changes in sexual behavior. Explanations have often focused on the spread of the birth control pill, increasingly permissive attitudes towards sex, and shifting moral values during the 60s and 70s. However, modern medicine may have also played a role. The discovery of penicillin led to significant reductions in syphilis mortality, which consequently may have spurred an increase in non-traditional sex. 
With its roots in the first perceived sexual revolution in the 1920s, this revolution in the 1960s, America encompassed many groups who are, non, who are now synonymous with the era. Feminists, gay rights, campaigners, hippies, and many other political movements were all important components and factors of this change. The modern consensus is that the sexual revolution of the 1960s, America was typified by a dramatic shift in traditional values related to sex and sexuality. Sex became more socially acceptable outside the strict boundaries of heterosexual marriage. Studies have shown that between 1965 and 1974, the number of women that had sexual intercourse prior to marriage showed a marked increase. The social and political climate of the 60s was unique one in which traditional values were often challenged loudly by a vocal minority. Minority. It says the various areas of society clamoring for change included the civil rights movement, the new left, and women, with various women's rights organizations appearing in the latter years of the decade in particular. This climate of change led many, particularly the young, to challenge social norms. With the success that the civil rights movement was having, others wanted change, and they knew that the time was ripe for them to bring it about. The combination of liberal government, general economic prosperity, and the ever-present threat of nuclear annihilation marked the 1960s apart from any decade that had come before it. And while conservatism was by no means dead, liberalism enjoyed a widespread revival which helped to facilitate the climate in which the sexual revolution took place. Indeed, Lyndon B. Johnson was the first acting president to endorse birth control, a hugely important factor in the change of America's sexual attitudes in the 60s. Now, that's just the world telling us what happened. Okay? I just said, you know, this is what happened in the 1960s and 70s. There was a change. People changed their attitudes. People changed their thinking. It wasn't a biblical change. It was a change from biblical teaching. Okay? It was a change from biblical standards to now, this is what we think. This is what we think. And so we can see what starts to happen. Now, here's what I say. 40, 30, 40, 50 years later, I can look back on that and say, okay, sin started to be acceptable. Now, sin has always been there. It's not like all of a sudden in the 1960s they invented sin. No, sin became acceptable. Okay, there's a difference. There's a difference, you know. And so it became acceptable then. It was the norm. People were trying to say, this is the way we think it ought to be. You know, we were, it has nothing to do with God's word anymore. This is what we think. We've got a better idea. You know, it was kind of the feel-good time. This is what feels good. This is what seems like, well... And, you know, and, and it was interesting to me, it said that a minority, a minority. Now, one thing about the being a minority that ought to encourage us as Christians is that if Christians are a minority, we still can have a voice, too. So, you know, it doesn't, minority doesn't really matter sometimes. But I believe that what happened in the 60s and 70s has consequences. And I just want to think about a couple of them. In that time now, what do we have? Well, what we've, what we've got now is we've got people in prominent positions, presidents, pastors, pastors, 
and people in places of high influence, giving us examples of sexual immorality. Openly, publicly acceptable. You know, it's like, well, and some people say, well, you know, everybody does it. Who can, you know, you don't want to point a finger at them. But let me say this, that these people have positions of influence. And when you see people in positions of influence doing things they shouldn't be doing as sin, it starts to become acceptable because our children look at it. And they say, well, you know, the presidents do it. The presidents can, they, you know, they're open about it. You know, it's like, you know, I, you know, presidents, I'm not saying presidents never did it before. I'm not saying that. I think, you know, there was a time when they didn't go around bragging about it or it wasn't in your face. And now it becomes more acceptable. More acceptable. So that's, I believe it's an influence on our children. You know, it's, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I believe also that what happened with, with the consequences of this was children now grow up in homes that are very unsettled. Unsettled. Children are growing up in homes where they really aren't sure what's going on. Also now, we have sexual diseases running rampant. How, why was it all of a sudden we got an AIDS epidemic? I often wonder, where did it come, where did it just come from? 35 million people have been affected by AIDS in the world. 35 million people. Consequences, consequences. 35 million. Various other sexually transmitted diseases. You know, there's, just other things that people have to suffer. Consequences. Because of what was done and becomes acceptable. Acceptable. Now, one of the things about the world is when it's sin, they'll never want to say, well, it's because of sin. They'll come up with all kinds of other reasons. You know, they're, they're, you know they'll, well, you know, it just happens and blah, 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 blah. I think it's consequences of sin. Okay. I think I think it's what happens. I think we've we've since then we see a tremendous amount of people that choose to live together outside of marriage. Young people seems to be the pattern. The pattern is, you know, you don't get married. I don't know. Some of them say, well, we want to try it to see if we're compatible. You can't. It's not. You you, you can't try it. You, you know, it's like, I don't know, I was trying to think, but, you know, it's, it's kind of like I'm going to try to swim. Either you swim or you don't swim. You don't try. I mean, something, you know, you can say we're just trying to see if we're compatible, but I want to say when you get in a relationship like that, you're committed. Here's, here's why, you know, used to be a thing called common law marriage. Used to be a thing called common law. If you, if you lived together for so many years, you were you were common law. I didn't realize, but you know, in 1991, Ohio did away with common law of marriage. 1991. They did away with it. But here's what happens. I don't care what you call it, but if you live together, when you separate, if you separate, if it don't work, you know, you're just going to try it 
and you live together for two or three years and it don't work, you say, well, nothing, we didn't get married, so it doesn't matter. I'm telling you, there's a separation. I don't care. There's an emotional separation that's going to happen. It's going to affect you. you. You just don't walk. I mean, you just don't walk away. And I want to tell you something else. Now, I, when, I like to watch Judge Judy once in a while. The reason I like to watch her is because she gets to tell people what she thinks. That's what I like about it, you know, because she just says what she thinks. She goes, look, this is the way it is. And like, don't argue with me. I'm in charge here. I like that. So it kind of, it, it, it helps something inside of me. Okay. But anyway, but what does she run into a lot of the cases? There are people who have lived together who have separated. Now what are they doing? They're back in court trying to decide whose stuff is what and who pays what bill. Well, what is that? You know, it's not a divorce, but it's the same, it's the same result. Now you've still got to figure out how to sort this stuff out. Okay, so, so my point is, you know, um, wh- whether, however you approach it, it's, it's still got consequences. And I also see children brought up in these situations. You know, um, children have all kinds of parents. They have step-parents. They have parents they live with. They have parents here. They have parents there. If you don't think that affects kids, you're just kidding yourself. If you don't think that's a consequence, you're just kidding yourself. You know, that affects kids. That affects kids. You know, it's kind of like, who do I say? Who, who does God say I am? Whose child am I? Whose child am I? And I think sometimes children feel that. Whose child am I? One of the best things they can do with a child that goes through that is a child can come to the point, I'm God's child. Because it looks like the world around me is kind of messed up. But those are great consequences. Those are great consequences. So what we find now is we we end up with, we aren't sure what's acceptable. What's acceptable? What's right? What's the right thing to do? What do our children think? How do our children decide what's right? Do they just look around them and say, well, I guess this is the way you do it because everybody around me does it this way. You know, that's, quite, that's quite a consequence of sin. Now, now it's a lot of indecision. What's right? Is what's right just everybody's opinion? Opinions. Boy, they're all over the place. Is what's right what the, what the government says? You know, the laws around us, laws don't make it right. Laws are laws, but they don't make it right in God's eyes. Laws don't always deal with sin. You know, they're laws, but they don't always deal with sin. And so, so what do we have? How do we decide? Well, we need to decide what God's word says and decide that, you know, I believe God's word is true. I believe God's word is true. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. You know, because otherwise there's consequences. There's consequences. There's always consequences to sin. It just sometimes takes a while. You know, like I say, I think I've lived long enough that I can look back and say, wow, those choices that people made in the 60s and 70s 
are now showing consequences. Showing consequences. I have strong opinions about some of the things that are going on in our country today that are going to have consequences 30 and 40 years from now. I think there's other things just like a sexual revolution and now we're doing and decisions people are making that are going to have tremendous consequences in the future. Because sin always has consequences. There's always, there's always payment. There's always a price to pay. You know, this, and I'm not going to try to get, and I'm not going to get political, and I'm not going to have an, show an opinion, but you know, this whole thing about the chief justice on the Supreme Court, you know, he's, there's consequences for things that happened 30, 40 years ago. I'm not, I don't, you know, I'm not saying what's right or wrong, but you know, it's almost like if you, if you do things you shouldn't, that it'll come back sometime. You know, now, you know, I'm not saying, I'm just saying it's kind of interesting to me. Interesting to me that maybe something that was acceptable at one time now isn't acceptable. Here's the bottom line, folks, as Christians. If we live according to God's word, we won't have to worry about it. That if we, if we do what God says, we don't, those consequences aren't out there. If we do what God says, there's no sexual sins. If we do what God says, there's no sexual assault. If we do what God says, there's no suing somebody over property. If we do what God says, we have his blessing. We have his blessing. We sang this morning, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. How does that happen? How do we get life and life more abundantly? We get life and life more abundantly by following him. By following him. What's the consequences of following Jesus and his word? The consequence is an abundant life. The consequence of following sin is death and destruction. The wages of sin is death. Jesus, he said, I've come, you might have life. Jesus wants to give us life. But it's about a choice. It's about a choice. It's about choosing. We can choose life. We can choose to follow him. We make choices all the time. We need to help our children make choices. Please don't let your children make choices when they're 10, 11 years old about Issues that are bigger than they are. Guide them. Help them. Don't let them try to struggle through that. Help them. Guide them. Tell them the truth. Tell them the truth. Help them to choose. Make good choices. And I know someday they're going to be an adult and they'll make their own choices. And that's fine. That's the way it's supposed to be. But until then, train them. Guide them. Show them God's word. Show them what the truth is. Help them to choose. Make right choices before them so they can see what it's like to make right choices. Make right choices. You know, I, I, 
personally think, you know, we can say all kinds of things about our country and where we're at right now. I don't think it's the best place personally. Um, there's a lot of good things to say, and I hate to be negative, but overall, there's just a lot of bad, there's a lot of stuff going on. It's not good, folks. We are not headed, we are not headed as a country in God's direction. Let's put it that way. Now, saying all that, it does, God doesn't need a majority. Okay? Now, saying all that, thank goodness, he doesn't need a majority. But I'm just telling you that as a country, we're not, we need to make right choices. And until we start to choose God and his word and what's true, there's going to be consequences. There's going to be consequences. And so, you know, this, this whole area is just one example. There's other ways. Um, I, think, I think we're a tremendously selfish people. I think we're so selfish, self-centered. Everything's about what's in it for me. How does it make me feel? You know, everything you do should make me feel good. And if it doesn't make me feel good, then it, I don't want it. You know, I think we're tremendously greedy and selfish. And, you know, we're not committed. We're lacking a work ethic. All kinds of things I think we got consequences coming if we keep down these paths. But it's about choices. And as God's people, we have to make right choices for ourselves. You know, I hate to lament about the government too much because, you know, I probably ought to pay more attention to me and the, what's around me. And, you know, I'm not in a position to change the government, although I think we can have influence. I think we should have influence. I think we should vote. I think we should write our congressman, express our opinions. I think wherever we have influence, we should share what we believe. But basically, I have to make sure I'm making right choices. What am I choosing? What am I choosing today? What are my choices? Because they all have consequences. I just pray that, you know, we would, we would see that. We would help our children. You know, guide them, show them, tell them. You know, tell them. Hey, I did this. You know, sometimes, you know, and not to brag about our testimony or things we've done, sometimes we made mistakes. But we can share, you know what? I tried that, and here's what happened. I did that, and here's the consequence. Sometimes we can be honest with our children and help them. Help them in their choices. Help them to see. Because, you know, I believe that, you know, one of the advantages of being old is you've been through some stuff. You know, after you've been around long enough, you've kind of go, well, I kind of been through that. I kind of know what I kind of know what happens. And I believe that wisdom. Then we can share that with our with our young people and our children. So let's all let's all just remember that, uh, you know, we all have choices and there will be a day. There's always a day of reckoning, a day of reckoning and consequences. Let's all stand. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. Lord, I pray you'd help us to see that you are the way, the truth, and life. But Lord, we can choose you. We can choose your way. We can choose abundant life. Lord, we can choose, choose you. Or we can choose to do it our own way. To try to figure it out on our own, to make our own choices. But Lord, just help us to be faithful to you your word 
Lord, we just thank you for that. We thank you for your love for us. Lord, help us to understand more and more how much you love us. Lord, you have a, you have a better path, a better way. Lord, we just thank you for that. Lord, I pray if anyone has a need for prayer, if they'd like someone to pray with them this morning, you'd encourage them to come up and let our prayer team pray with them up front here right after the service as we dismiss. Lord, we just thank you for being with us. We just ask your blessing on each and every one here. We just pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.